Welcome to a refreshing podcast from Life Church. Get ready. The Word of God will be planted into your heart and will produce God's best in your life. Who's excited about the Word of God today? I am, I am, I am. This is going to be our last, um, yeah, I know. Hasn't this been good? Yeah, faith, the fight that you will always win. I was going to end it last week, actually. Uh, But I feel that the Lord wanted me to go one more week, and so we do that, amen? Uh, I'm not a cookie-cutter kind of a person, so I don't start a new series just because it's the new month. Um, If the Lord wants us to go further, we go further. But I want to just tie it up today and share with you one simple thing that I want you to believe. I had so many different um, points to share, if I could, but the Lord really wanted me to hone in on one thing, and that is he wants you to believe that you are worth fighting for. You are worth fighting for. Um, I started off the series talking about using your faith to fight. And that is a very real message. That's something that I want you to hold to. Um, But I also, I think it's apropos that we close with this, that the Lord will fight for you. There's certain things that you won't have to fight for. The Lord will fight for you because you are worth fighting for. I'm going to start in John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. I want you to keep in mind that who brought this woman. It was the scribes, someone say scribes, and Pharisees. I'll I'll describe what that is in a little bit, but these are two different kinds of people, scribes and Pharisees. They brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Isn't it amazing? They expected him to respond a certain way. So think about that for a second. They were testing him. They were trying to trap him so that they could accuse him of something. What, what What do you think they expected Jesus to do? And why did they expect him to do this? Clearly, they expected him to say, Uh, Who cares about Moses? You know what? Let her go. It's okay. You know, that's too harsh of a punishment. No, 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 no. But why would they expect him to respond that way? Because they saw Jesus differently than the scribes and the Pharisees, of which they were. Scribes were people who were responsible for writing law, transcribing Hebrew literature. They were very detailed-oriented people. They kept genealogies. They were the people that were usually uh, uh, dealing with the Roman officials as it pertained to the temple. Scribes were very high in rank, and they were very, very detailed. Pharisees were somewhat different. They were religious leaders, but they were a little bit more with the common people, but yet still elite. They didn't really associate with the common people, but they didn't keep themselves as the scribes. So they were what you would consider people who were on the streets, yes. 
but they like to be seen, yes, but they didn't really like to associate with people. Scribes and Pharisees, they were, con they were constantly at odds with Jesus and fighting with Jesus and trying to trap him. And they brought this woman to him, and, it's, and it says that they brought her to him so that they can test him, expecting him to say, it's okay. It's not a big deal, guys. Okay, she, she got caught in a, an adulterous affair. That's not the best, but come on, guys. You're being too harsh. Let her go. And if he said that, then they would have said, aha, you see, you do not honor the law of Moses because Moses instructed us that in such a case, she should be stoned. So they expected Jesus to operate in grace. They expected him to say, you know what, I'm not going to judge her. I was sharing this, we were sharing this, uh, I was talking to a few people just last week, and I was, I was we were kind of like marveling at the fact that Christians, and I like, I like that we have this expectation on us, Christians, unlike any other religion of the world, the world, ex and they'll throw, it to you, they'll throw it in your face, they expect Christians to act a certain way. Aren't you a Christian? Right? Like, like, and, and, and the love of God is something that is constantly thrown in Christians' face. Shouldn't you forgive? Shouldn't you love? Like, you don't hear that. Like, aren't you this? And you, there's something about Jesus that distinguishes himself from every other religious figure in the world. He embodies what it means to love. He embodies what it means to be gracious. And so those who associate with Christ, they're expected to act a certain way. And so they tested him, saying, what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. If you could, I want you to highlight that, being convicted by their conscience. Something the Lord just kind of really put out in front of my face. He was going to show me, this is how I fight for you. I cause people to be convicted by their conscience as to how they're treating you. I cause people to think about their ways of how they're dealing with you. I'm going to respond in such a way that they're going to be convicted by their conscience. This is why people would just all of a sudden have a different attitude towards you, and you don't know why. It's because the Lord convicted them in their conscience. All of a sudden, they feel like, you know, I should be nice. All of a, you know, let me, let me not be this way. Let, let me not give this person a hard time. Let me have a different approach. And you just think, oh, my God, something just changed. I don't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Jesus was fighting for you. And he released a word on your behalf. And he changed someone's attitude, someone's disposition towards you. And they were convicted by their conscience. Oh, I love that. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest. <laughs> 
I love the fact that it says beginning with the oldest. That means, that means, you know, he had a lot of things going on. You know, when you're old, you can think about a lot of stuff. Right? <laughs> when you lived a while, you can think, you, you, oh, yeah, he who's out without sin, oh, I got a lot to think about. The youngest had to think about it. Well, had a couple of years on the earth. <laughs> that oldest one dropped it quick. <laughs> Even to the last, and Jesus was left alone. I love the fact that when Jesus defends you, there's a time where you're left alone with him. And he can deal with you personally. And he can describe to you his love for you. He can show you his heart towards you. And he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want you to know that the Lord, and I want you to believe this as we close out this series, he wants you to believe that he will fight for you. And what that should do for you is that should put you in a place where you're not so quick to get into a fight. You're not so quick to argue. You're not so quick to be argumentative. You're not so quick to be in strife with people and odds with people. You need to know that there is someone who will fight on your behalf. There is a time to fight, no question about it. The great Solomon said it in all of his wisdom, there's a time to fight. We know that. There's a time to speak up. We know that. But there is a time to fall back and let God do his work. And wisdom and the Holy Spirit will teach you the difference. And I'm saying to you today, if you find yourself in a battle, if you find yourself in a fight, if you find yourself constantly being antagonized, you're fighting something that seems to be bigger than you, you need to realize, wait a minute, there is someone that will fight for me. And he will. He will fight for you. He will speak to people. He will speak to loved ones. He will cause people to apologize. He will deal with circumstances. He will shift things on your behalf. He will fight for you. God is a just God, and he hates injustice. He hates it with a passion. And if you would believe that, Lord, you're a just God, you hate injustice, you side with those who are oppressed, those who are, who are put down. You, your word says that you execute righteousness and justice for all who oppress. If you would give God the space to fight for you, he will. There's a scripture in the book of Romans where it says, give place to wrath. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Give place. Give God space. Give God a, a, a platform to do his best work on your behalf. He wants to fight for you today. In the name of the Lord. Exodus, 20, Exodus 14, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. What happens when the Lord is in battle for you? You can hold your peace. You can be at peace. You can relax. You don't have to be stressed. You don't have to be trying to figure out how this is going to work out. No, I'm going to hold my peace. The Lord will fight for me. I want to share a few ways of how Jesus is fighting for you right now. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2, 
Jesus advocates for you. He advocates. Sometimes people think that Jesus is just sitting in heaven, you know, just waiting for the Father to tell him when to come and rapture the church up. No, Jesus is actually working. He is doing something. He is active. And one of his ministry today is he advocates for you. He's an advocate with the Father. And 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. I love that. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Maybe you missed that. It says that we have an advocate. We have a what? Come on, say it loud. We have a what? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So how does he advocate for us? There are times where we need mercy. We need mercy. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the next scripture in a second. But we need mercy. And Jesus advocates for mercy on our behalf. That's an amazing thing to remember. He speaks to the Father on our behalf. This is why he is considered to be our high priest. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, this is why you don't need to go to a priest to confess your sins. Jesus is your advocate. He is your high priest. It's okay to confess your sins one to another. It's okay to share some things with people. It's okay to go to a pastor, spiritual leader, and just share some things. That's okay. But don't do it in the sense that I need you to go to the Father on my behalf so that I'm good with God. No, you're good with God because Jesus is your advocate. He's your advocate. He's the one that makes you good. He's the one that speaks on your behalf. His blood is the one that cleanses you. He is the one who defends you. Number two, I like this. Jesus intercedes for you. Someone say intercedes. I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. Sometimes people say I'm interceding for, you know, uh, someone who's a believer. You don't need to intercede for a believer. Intercession is for unbelievers. Intercession is for people who do not have a relationship with God. Intercession means to stand in the gap for someone. You don't intercede for other Christians. You supplicate for Christians. You intercede for unbelievers. You intercede for nations. You intercede for people or things or governments who don't have a covenant relationship with God. You supplicate for believers. But Jesus is our intercessor. Why? He is the one that stands in the gap between us and the Father. He is the bridge between us and the Father. He is the one that has brought us into a relationship. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, therefore, he he is also able to save. He is able to do what? To the uttermost, those who come to God through him. This is why he intercedes. You come to God through him. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Saying in the name of Jesus, amen, is not just the way you end the prayer. When you say in the name of Jesus, you're simply saying, I'm going to God through Jesus, through the name of Jesus. That's why he considers, that's why he is considered our intercessor. So it says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives. He always lives. He always lives to make intercession for them. So how does he defend you? How does he fight for you? How is he going to bat for you? His, he's interceding for you. He's praying. I know it sounds like crazy. Really? Yeah. Jesus prays for you. And his prayers have power. His prayers have influence. There are certain things that you did not do or you didn't go or you or could have been different. Had it not been for Jesus praying, 
I believe when we go to heaven, we're going to discover a lot of these things. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for me praying certain things, you'd be surprised. And sometimes we need to just bask in that revelation that right now I'm not alone. I have the Lord praying for me. I have the Lord helping me. I have his word at work. I have his spirit at work. I have angels at work. I have something at work on my behalf. I'm not just doing this in my own strength. Praise God. You're stronger than you think you are. You really need to understand that things are well for you because someone is praying. If no one on this earth is praying, you should know Jesus is praying himself. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to read on. C, letter C, or number three. How does Jesus defend you? His blood speaks concerning you. His blood speaks concerning you. I'm going to read Hebrews 12, 18 and 24. I'm going to read a little bit, so just please follow me. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. What is he describing? He's describing a time when Moses was on the mountain and he was receiving the Ten Commandments, if you would. He was receiving the law. He was hearing from God. And they said, Moses, you go. We're going to be over here. We're, we're good. OK, we don't want to deal with that. That that's whew, that's a lot there. That that's a scary God there. That's a mountain that is dark. That's a mountain that is that that, that has storms around it. We you we're good. You we'll be right here and you do your thing. And the Bible is saying, nah, nah, this is a different covenant. We're not we're not going back to that kind of a mountain anymore. We're not going to a mountain where we have to be distant from God, where we, we, can't, we can't hear from him. We, we, need, we need a Moses. We need someone to go between us and God. No, 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 no. It says, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. God wasn't playing. He was like, yeah. You're right. Don't come to this mountain because if you even touch this mountain, you're dead. I only want Moses. I only want my prophet. I only want the person that can speak to me face to face. God had some laws, I'm going to be honest with you, in the Old Testament that were whew, tough. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's some laws in the Old Testament. I'm like, Lord, you were you serious about this. This is, this, this is important to you. A lot of these laws are types and shadows of things to come. When you read the Old Testament and sometimes it confuses you, you're like, man, how, why is God so, so like rigid about certain things? Why, why, why does he seem so, so like anal about this? Why, why, why is it so important? Why do you have to be so harsh for? Let me tell you why. It's not that God was harsh. It's that his standard of holiness is so unlike what we are outside of Christ, it appears harsh. It appears harsh. This is why Christ had to come. The Bible says that the law was good. There was nothing wrong with the law. That the law was perfect. We weren't. So it was like, man, that's hard. It's not, it's like someone who, think about it. You ever have that, I don't know, maybe you were that person who aced all your exams. Any A students in here? Praise the Lord. I don't see too many hands. No, no, no A students here. All right. <laughs> There's always that one A student who doesn't seem to have a problem acing these exams. Everybody else is like, man, this is hard. Man, this is hard. And, and, and they're just like, it's kind of easy for me. Like, I don't, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I'm not struggling. 
right? Jesus was that A student that lets you copy off his, his paper. That's, that's what he was. Jesus, that person, I was like, all right, listen, see. You know, I remember my Spanish class. I, man, Spanish was tough for me. I had, a, I had a friend in Carlos. Yo, Carlos, man. He would give me the answers. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody had a Carlos in their class, Spanish class. Jesus was that Carlos who was giving you the answers. Jesus was that Carlos who was giving you what he was able to do. It's easy for him. It was hard for you, right? The law wasn't wrong. There was nothing wrong with the law. We were just so not like God that it appeared that it was so harsh. So God was like, you know what? I'm going to do something different. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to let my son pass the exam for you. And I'm going to give you all the credit for it. Praise the Lord. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion. This is a different mountain. The other mountain I just described was Mount Sinai. This is a different mountain. This is not the same mountain. You've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. That's a lot there. I can do a whole study there, but I'm getting to a main point. I just want to describe where we are. We're not, we're not where, where Moses was. We're, this is where we are today. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. To the spirits of just men made perfect. I could spend an eternity on that. But look at verse 24. To Jesus, this is where we've come to. We've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. I love that. Now, what did Abel's blood speak? You know the story, Cain and Abel? Right? When, Abel's, when Abel was, was murdered by his brother, his blood cried out, crying out for justice. I've been wrong. But that blood, I want you to understand something. That blood wasn't pure. It was, it was innocent in terms of he should not have died. But that was a, I'm using a word that we, we don't like to use, that was a sinner. That was a sinner. Yeah. The blood of Jesus, though, was a different type of blood, a blood that had no sin in it. So the blood of a sinner was crying out for justice. Now, take the blood of one who hasn't sinned, crying out. That blood is speaking something far greater and far more powerful than what Abel's blood was crying out. That blood, Jesus' blood, is crying out, you must forgive them. That blood is crying out, you must be merciful to them. That blood is saying, they are washed. That blood is crying out, not just for, hey, defend me because someone did something wrong to me. No, this blood is crying out, no, no, no. These people are holy. These people are righteous. These people are washed in the blood. 
That's the blood of Christ speaking out on your behalf. The blood speaks today. So when we declare the blood of Christ, like we like to say, I declare, I, I proclaim, or I, I plead the blood, or whatever you say, I plead the blood of Jesus. What you're really saying is everything that the, the blood of Jesus is speaking concerning me, so let it be in my life. And the blood is speaking concerning you. The blood is speaking that you're washed. The blood is speaking that you're clean. The blood is speaking that this is not who you are. You may be entangled in this, but this is not who you are. Come on, I want you to hear that. This is not who you are. The blood is speaking in Jesus' name. That's how he defends you. Let me go to the next one. I love this one. Angels are on assignment to help you. You have angels by your side. I want you to look to your left. Look to your right. There's an angel right there. Now, you may think, well, no, there's someone sitting on my chair. That's not an angel. <laughs> no, you, you actually have angels by your side. The Bible teaches that every person is born with an angel, two at least. Angels. Jesus says that the children's angels always behold the face of the father. The question is, the child has an angel, because he was, he was using this as an illustration. Don't offend these children. Don't harm these children. These people who, uh, Jesus said it very plainly. He says, those who harm children, those who cause children to, to sin and do nonsense, he says, you don't realize it was better for you not to even be born. Because their faces, their, their angels' faces, always behold the face of the Father. That means th there's a connection there. These angels are not just standing there for no reason. You have an angel. And when you turn 12, the angel didn't say, okay, you're old enough, let me leave, you know? <laughs> you know? No, you, your angel is still with you. Yeah, your angel is still with you. Now, sometimes our angels... I would say they're bored. They're not active. They're not working as they should on your behalf. And one of the reasons why is because we're not commanding angelic ministry. We're not commanding angelic ministry on our behalf. Let me share a scripture with you. I remember <laughs> I shared this years ago to someone, and they were offended at this notion because they saw angels as like, you know, some people love, some people worship angels, and that's a big mistake. And they, oh my God, how could you say that? Angels are not there to serve me. Yeah, they are. And they, and they, and they were offended because they really didn't realize who they were. Yeah. They looked at the angel as, oh, and God is like, no, the angels are actually looking at you like that. The Bible says that the angels look to the salvation of mankind. They're like, this is strange. Why do you love these people so much? Like, we made one mistake and we were out. <laughs> Lucifer got beside himself once and it was over. What's up with these people? You know why? Because you were created in his image and his likeness. They weren't. So angels are there to serve. That's what an angel's primary function is, to be a messenger, to serve, to aid. 
here's a scripture for you. It's found in Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? And he's actually comparing Jesus now with the angels. And he's saying Jesus is much greater than that. He says, which of the angels ever heard something like that? No one. No, none of the angels heard that. Till I, make, uh, till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits? He's talking about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? That's what they're there for, to minister to those who will inherit salvation. So your angel is there to minister to you. You see this throughout the scripture. Jesus, when he was, after, after he resisted he, uh, uh, the, the, the temptation of not going to the cross, the Bible, and he yielded his will to the Lord. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Not what my will, your will be done. There's a gospel that records that an angel came and ministered to him. Amen. So maybe you're in a battle in your will, and you don't know whether you're going to go the will of God or not. And, you're, and you feel like you're in a battle, then you, you, you come to a place where you yield yourself to God's will. Is it possible that God can send an angel to you to minister to you, to give you strength? Abraham, when he was sending his, his servant to go and look for a wife for his son, Isaac, he said, listen, my angel will go before you and make your way prosperous. That's exactly what happened. Angels are constantly on assignments. And I want you to know this is how Jesus defends you. He sends angels on your behalf. I can tell you many stories of people who had people that would attack them or try to attack them, but they backed up seeing a figure that they couldn't describe. And it says, oh, not this one. Not this one. Let's, let, let's try the next one. I saw something about that person that I don't want any parts of. Let's, let's, let's go somewhere else. They didn't realize there was an angel there. Praise God. I have a personal friend of mine who, was, who told me a story of how he was, um, he, was, he was in the passenger seat of a car, and on the other lane, uh, the traffic was going the opposite direction. There was a, a, a tractor-trailer truck um, who somehow, like, bumped something. Somehow they, they kind of hit something, and the truck suddenly went airborne. And he can see, it was, it was so high, he could see the wheel of that truck and that wheel was squarely going to land right right in his lap and he says while that while those wheels were turning and that it was like slow motion you know and that truck was in the air he says suddenly i saw an angel come grab that wheel and just slam that truck right back down and spared my life this is a personal friend of mine i i rejoice when i hear stories like that that there are people who could have lost their life had it not been for an angel. This is how Jesus defends you. Now, you don't pray to angels. You don't, oh, angel, you know. No, 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 no. You don't. The, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound like an elitist when I say this, but I'm saying this for a reason. I want you to hear this. You don't talk to them like that. They're there to serve you. Yeah. So in the name of Jesus, angels that are assigned to me, go. That's the, that's, that's the language that you use when you're talking to angels. Amen. And they will go on your behalf. Is this good? Yes. This is how Jesus defends you. He gives you angels. 
And you can give God thanks for them. Father, thank you for the angels that are there for me. Thank you, Lord God, that I have angels by my side. I will walk down the street and I will not be afraid. I will declare that the angels are there to help me and keep me in the name of the Lord. You buy a new car, you want to sanctify that car, you declare, angels, you stand on guard with this car. Nobody's breaking into this car. Amen. You move into the hood, all right, that's cool. The hood, <laughs> angels, you're not breaking into, I mean, you, angels, keep this, keep this house. No one's breaking into this house in the name of the Lord. I believe in that. How about you? How does he defend you? I love this. Words of prophecy spoken over you are shaping your future. I'm going to stop here. Words of prophecy spoken over you are shaping your future. Every time an anointed minister of the gospel or, or someone, a believer, someone who knows the Lord, someone, a friend, a family member, someone who's prayed for you, I want you to think about these moments. Don't, 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 look, don't, don't take these moments lightly. People who wanted to pray for you and say, I just, I just feel the Lord is saying this to you. I just, I just, I just want to just release this over your life. Or, and you know the Lord was speaking. Do you realize that that is a ministry of Jesus to you? And he's using people and he's using words of prophecy to shape your future, to prevent and protect certain things from happening to you. Amen. Amen. So I want you to know that prophetic words are there as a defense many times. Sometimes you would have gone the wrong direction. Sometimes if it wasn't for a prophetic word, you would have said something that you should not have said. You would have done something that would have been catastrophic. But the word of prophecy came and interrupted that and provided a way out and defended you and protected you and kept you. This is how Jesus protects you today. It's his word spoken over you that keeps you and protects you and keeps you where you should be. Thank God for the word. Thank God that you, you're here and you're hearing the word of God. These words hitting you are not just like, okay, fine. No, no, no. They are affecting your soul. They're affecting your mind. They're shaping your future. I, 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 when I hear the word of God, I rejoice over it because I believe that our attitude about what we hear is so, so important. And it will make a difference as to how it affects us on the inside. The word of God, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, you should be rejoicing to hear what you're hearing. Because a generation ago, two generations ago, people before you, they dreamed to hear what, they, what you're hearing. They wish they could hear what you're hearing, see what you're seeing. I want you to know that the word of God spoken over to you should be, you should be rejoicing over it. It should be something that you're excited about because these are words that are there to defend you, to protect you, to prosper you, to shape your future. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for his word spoken over us. Thank you for his word spoken over us. This is how he is actively ministering to you and defending you. I want to speak a few words over you in the name of the Lord. And every word that I speak, if you believe, I believe they will begin to shape your future. The Lord has begun to instruct me to prophesy over the entire church and to speak words of life. And if they would believe and receive these words of life, it will shape their future. It will shape what they will experience tomorrow. The word of God is that powerful. I'm not. It's the word of God. The word of God will shape you, will shape your future if you were to believe in it. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. The word of prophecy is that powerful. That's why the scripture says in 2 Chronicles 20, 20, So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And it's not just the prophets that you believe just because they're prophets. You believe the word of prophecy. You believe the word that the prophets speak. It's not just because they're a prophet you believe in them. No, you believe in the message that's released from them. That's what you're putting your word, your, your, your faith in. The word that comes from them by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what is the promise? If you would believe it, you will prosper. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody's afraid of prosperity? I know some people, let me just go on a little side tangent and then we're done here. Some people will like to say, well, you know, I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. There is no such thing as a prosperity gospel. I mean, there is none. I mean, these are just terms that people make up because it just wants, it, it labels are easy and they're lazy. You know, you just make up a label just to kind of like slapstick something on and say, hey, this is what you are. The gospel is so generous. You can't get more prosperous than the gospel. There is no prosperity gospel. The gospel is prosperity. It is in every sense of the word. You, you can't escape it. I mean, if I say, listen, I want to give you eternal life. I mean, how much more prosperous can that be? Everything that pertains to life is yours. Everything that pertains to godliness is yours. There is no prosperity gospel. There is just the gospel. And the gospel today is that if you would believe his word, he will prosper you in every way in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you believe that? The word of the Lord will shape your future. It will shape your future. And so I feel led to pray and to speak over you. I'm going to speak over people specifically right now, those who are believing for uh, the, the right person to be joined with. I'm talking about an intimate relationship. You, you're, you're looking for someone, to, for God to send you that special someone, a special man, a special woman. It doesn't make a difference. The Lord has someone for you, and here's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is this. You will. Possess your soul in patience. You will not be soon troubled. You will be settled in God's perfect plan and timing. And it will be a quick work for you. In the name of the Lord Jesus. No more anxiety. No more wondering. You're going to sense right now a great peace keeping you. And a rejoicing in the moment. I sense that some of you, you've made this an idol in your life. And the Lord is saying, put that idol down. Let it not be something that is so important to you that it causes you to be anxious. No, no, no. That ends now in the name of Jesus. You're entering into a place of great contentment. Great contentment. Great contentment. People are going to ask you, Man, how do you, oh, I'm just great. I just feel completely at peace. I am in complete, no rush for whatever God has for me. I am completely at peace. In the name of Jesus. Receive that. I'm going to speak over your finances in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. I'm going to release a word of 
blessing over every person that is due for a raise or a promotion or a new position. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Even if you're not due, the Lord's going to make you due. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. It's going to make you do. I say that for a reason. Sometimes we're on a particular schedule and it's like, well, you know, every, every year, every two years, the Lord can bend the rules for you. The Lord can do that. The Lord can say, you know what? We normally have an annual review, but, you know, we just want to do something a little quicker for you. Amen. So in the name of the Lord Jesus, every single person in this room that is due, that desires more in terms of promotion, increase, a new job, let it be your portion now in the name of Jesus. It will happen. It will be sweatless. Oh, some might fight against it, but they won't prevail. What I have for you, no one will be able to stop. It is yours in the name of Jesus. I see that specifically for you, Lisa. I don't know if you are believing and contending for a raise or a promotion. But I feel that the Lord is going to open up something very big for you. Promotion is on its way for you in Jesus' name. It's on its way. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to say something that I feel... Um, just, and I don't think I've ever said this before, but I just feel like this is what the Lord is saying. Your diet is going to change. Some of you, your diet, and we know this just by general knowledge, but I believe the Lord is speaking this. Some of you, your diet has contributed to your health challenges, but a new grace is coming upon you right now. A new grace to put the right things in your body. There's going to be an appetite change. You're going to begin to feel a lack of desire for certain things and a desire for things that your body craves. This is the Lord. Suddenly you're going to want different things, not want certain things. The Lord is recalibrating your appetite. He's recalibrating what you desire. He's bringing a shift in your health, and it's going to start with your diet in the name of Jesus. You're going to eat better. Amen. Amen. Stop saying, I can't control myself. I have to have this. I have to eat this. I have a weakness in this. Stop saying, I'm diabetic. Stop saying these things. No, begin to say, the Lord has recalibrated my diet. My body is conforming to his perfect will. My health is intact because this is the word of the Lord for me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matter of fact, we can pray right now. Uh, Burgundy, you asked me to pray for your son. I'm going to just, can you bring him up right now? We're going to release uh, the power of God towards this young baby, this young child. Amen. Just stretch your hand towards him. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I declare that every organ functions as it is created to function. I speak right now, you are healed in Jesus' name. There will be a change, there will be a shift, there will be a new kidney for you in the name of Jesus. As God has created it to function, so shall it function. 
I declare right now that you are healed from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet in Jesus' name. Be healed now. Come on, let's agree with that. Declare that he is healed. Just declare that he's healed. Just declare that he's healed. You're healed in Jesus' name. Come on, declare that he is healed. You're healed in Jesus' name. Every negative report spoken is being reversed now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the anointing. It's the name of Jesus that does it. Amen. And amen. When's your next appointment? Okay. Come back and give us a testimony. Amen. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. I declare that your family, every area of strife in your family is being put to an end. May the peace of God invade your home, invade the relationships that you have with your loved ones. That force of peace that no devil can stop. I release it. That force of the peace of Jesus be it yours now in Jesus' name. Come on, receive that peace. I want you to go and see yourself as an agent of peace. When you go into your home, when you go back to wherever, declare peace over it. There is peace in his home. There is peace in his relationship. There is a flow and a flood of peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is how Jesus defends you. He sends his peace. He sends his grace. Thank you, Father. This concludes today's message. If you need prayer, want to give a donation, or would like more information about Life Church, visit us at www.nylifechurch.com.